Hey everyone, good morning. Welcome to the Daily Drop-In Morning Show with the Teach Better team, where we are live every single morning, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern, as we stream on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and LinkedIn. You may also be listening to this on Teach Better Talk podcast, and wherever you're streaming from, we're thrilled you're here. We're so happy to welcome you into this Tuesday morning. It is February 1st. Jessica Reed is here, and we have so much we're going to talk about. Our theme this week is parent communication, and we have a good news story, some holidays to celebrate with you, obviously kicking off the month strong. So please go fill up your coffee as we get started for the day, and we'll be right back. Welcome to the Daily Drop-In Morning Show. We're thrilled you're here. Thank you for throwing your thoughts in the comments throughout our conversation. Jessica Reed, how are you, friend? I'm so glad you're here. I'm good. I'm good. Happy it's February, no longer January. I know, (laughs) right? It's February. We're kicking off the month strong. There is a ton going on this month, so I'm a fan, ready to get into the craziness of February, right? Sweet. Let's get started. I know. Um, Jessica, there are so many people in the Teach Better community that already know all about you and that are very connected to you in our ambassador program. But of course, we have members of the Teach Better family that are involved in a thousand different ways. So if people don't know who you are and what you do, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am an ambassador and very happy to be one. Probably one of the coolest things I've gotten to do. Um, I am a middle school special ed teacher. I teach ELA resource six through eight and I do one class of inclusion. Um, I do a little bit of everything. I don't really say no to anything. That's probably my biggest downfall. But I am also love I'm a big ed tech nerd as well and a big, big, big person for inclusion and collaboration in the classroom. So so, so good. I know, Jessica, we've been able to chat a little bit, but I'm excited to learn more about the specifics of your day-to-day interactions. And obviously, with our theme this week being parent communication, I can only imagine that that's something that you put a big emphasis on. So excited to get into that this morning. Um, can you tell me a little bit about why you became an ambassador? I know that's a program that you said you're happy to be a part of, but for the people who aren't necessarily in the ambassador program, there's a lot of details that that aren't necessarily communicated to the general audience. So tell us a little bit about your experience so far. So when I I first applied the first time, I actually didn't get accepted. And I was kind of, I was like, okay, cool. You know, that's, I mean, rejection happens. And then when the applications opened up a second time, just because I enjoy everything, like all the different courses that you can take and getting to know everyone. And it has been such a cool thing. There's the day, there's like monthly hangouts. We just finished a book study. Um, the two lead ambassadors are fantastic. Andrea and Megan. I always, it's, it's kind of like you have like a little pseudo family. Do you know what I mean? It's like this little group and everyone's just so supportive. I remember I presented at a conference and I was really nervous about it. And I posted in the, our Facebook group and I got so many warm wishes and good luck. And it was just, it's like a very supportive little community, which is really hard sometimes as a teacher, especially right now with all the things going on. 
So. Oh, goodness. I'm so glad that you found the ambassador program to be so helpful. Obviously, there's like the facilitated book studies, the monthly PD, but I love also the family component, the hangouts, the daily interaction on Voxer or Facebook or, you know, just so many different opportunities for educators to cheer each other on and celebrate each other. And truly, Megan and Andrew, who are part of the Teach Better team, built that program from the ground up. They just had this vision of what it could be. And and I know that applications haven't opened in a while, but they will be opening soon from what I heard. So if you're listening now and you're interested in becoming a Teach Better ambassador, there's some incredible opportunities there that we'd love to get you involved in, including a mentor program. So for those of you who are continuously looking for that guided support, that could also be an option for you. So that is so neat. Now, Jessica, before we came live, we had the weirdest conversation, and I say that lovingly because it just boggled my mind that I've never talked to an educator that has this day-to-day routine. So for those of you that are listening, I want you to listen up for this incredible thing that we discussed. Jessica, what time is it right now for you? Okay, so Eastern time it's 7.05, but my body is telling me it's 6.05. Okay, why, I- why is the clock reading something different than your body? <laughs> So I teach Eastern, but I actually live Central, where I am located in Alabama. I'm 30 minutes away from the Georgia border, and I'm like in, right in the nook of near Chattanooga and uh, Fort Payne, where I'm from, where I live. And I teach in a little a little area there, and it's what I've done for five years. <laughs> so when you go home, you operate in Central time zone, but when you're at work, you're in Eastern time zone, which I have to tell you, I have complained for years that the Teach Better team operates in Eastern and I live in Central, but I didn't realize that you'd have to do that daily flip of what time, why are you asking, what is this related to? I think my brain would be mushed by the end of the day. Mine is usually, I get, the biggest time I ever get confused is when my four-year-old has to get, my husband gets my daughter ready to go to school because she's in pre-K. And I get so confused when I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, okay, are they up? Did he get her, you know, like, is everything going? How was she this morning? And then trying to talk to him when he, it's like, it's all over the place. But when I get home, I'm fine because I'm back to my normal, so. So it's really like, depending on who you're speaking to, you're thinking about what time zone they're in and trying to do that transition, which which truly is my life, depending on who I'm speaking to on the Teach Better team, right? We have Jeff Gargas, who's in Ohio. We have, you know, Katie Miglin, who's in Illinois. We have Olivia Chan, who's in who's on the West Coast. I mean, it's so funny to see how these conversations can change based on the time. But what a cool, I don't think I've ever discussed Um, this with an educator that lives on that border. It must happen all the time. People must live this life. It's actually, it's as a parent, it's really cool because um, I'm actually able to be at home by the time my daughter gets out of school. So like I'm home by three, Um, which may seem like it's a burden to some, but I really like being able to be at home with her and get her started. Because we're just like now in the, the swing of like, we're doing activities after school and starting all that up for her. So, yeah, because obviously you, when you get home, it's an hour earlier. So while your morning starts earlier than maybe some educators would experience, you also finish your day earlier in theory because you're moving between the two time zones. That is just wacky. I think that's so cool, Jessica. Thanks. (laughs) 
So as we get into our conversation this morning, Jessica, I'm really excited to pick your brain. Um, obviously, on Tuesdays, for those of you that watch the show frequently, we have about two segments that we're going to get into. One is our good news story, and one is our brainstorm bank. And on Tuesdays, we like to flip-flop them. So our good news story is at the end of our show, and Brain Break gets to kick off our dialogue this morning. Brain Break is a time where we kind of reach out to our community and say, hey, friends, do you need anything? It's also an opportunity where we get to discuss the theme of the week and what you're most passionate about, Jessica, so we can continue to learn about you. So we'll be right back. If you are tuning in this morning, good morning. Welcome to either 6.08 a.m. Central or 7.08 a.m. Eastern. We're thrilled to have you. There are a lot of things going on in the Teach Better team this morning, including a new start time for our admin mastermind Shout out to those of you who participate in our admin mastermind. If you have not registered for that, you still can this morning. It begins at the top of the hour here in just about 45 minutes. And that is a brand new time for that crew. You can find out all the details of this big, exciting shift that is happening this morning on the Teach Better team over at teachbetter.com slash mastermind. Let us know if you have any questions and we'll be right back. morning, everyone. We are thrilled to welcome you back to our Brainstorm Bank. Again, if you are looking for information on our Advent Mastermind, which has a big change coming to you this morning, obviously it meets in the afternoons. That is not changing, facilitated by the incredible Brad Hughes. But we also have a morning session, which is beginning an hour earlier from now on with our new facilitator, Dr. Brian Zwemke, who will be joining our crew to facilitate that incredible administration conversation. You can see all those details at teachburner.com slash mastermind. Jessica, as we get started for this morning, I love to, I'd love to get your thoughts on what parent communication means to you. Do you have a theory on it? You must be doing so much with your specific role. Um, I do. I, it it kind of goes two ways for me. Um, as a parent, I love that my, my child's teacher is very like, I text, we do through the remind ma'am, ma'am, thank you, ma'am. Like, there's no lack of communication. As a teacher, on the other hand, it can be, especially a special ed teacher, because so often we're case managers, and we have these kids, and we are their advocate, and we do a whole bunch of other things for them. Um, it can be good, and it can be bad. You know, sometimes, especially if you've had a student for a really extremely long time, um, you and that parent can start butting heads, because you may, you know what I mean? Like, there's Sometimes change is inevitable and change is needed. Um, as recently as ha has happened to me this year. Um, with my personal case manager parents, I am very open. I have, I mean, I'll communicate, you know, text through Google Voice, email, all those good things, because I try to make sure that they understand what's happening and the realities of what's going on in the classroom. The only downfall I've ever had is I've never set a boundary until this year. Um, because I've always just been that person. When you contact me, I try to make sure it happens, even if it's 8.30 at night. And this is the first year. It was actually for my principal's suggestion that I have a boundary up. And it's been great. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of educators are going to be able to understand and empathize with that mindset. Because as we get into this incredible profession, you know, whether you see 30 students a day or 200 students a day, depending on your schedule, your mindset is that you want to be as transparent with parents as possible. We want to communicate what's going on in the classroom. We want to make sure that they feel like they are a part of the conversation as 
meaningful stakeholders that are obviously enormous in our students' lives day to day. And yet a lot of educators begin to feel that stress and that burnout when they're getting parent emails at eight o'clock at night and they're seeing the email on their phone maybe, or they're getting a ding you know, somewhere in the house and an email has been received. And we feel this essential requirement to go and respond to it. And the reality is, is that putting up boundaries can really allow us to find that balance, that healthy, appropriate communication piece. Um, there was a mentor I had for, for years and years and years that used to remind me that our communication to parents is business, right? That's our work. That's what we do. Parent communication to us is personal. And so they're doing that after hours in many cases. And so finding that balance between when to respond and when not to respond is hard. How did you determine what your, what your boundaries were going to even be? Um, it was more of my husband. <laughs> he, um, I'm so married to an attorney and he can cut off at five o'clock. I don't know how he does it, but he, um, he does not answer his business phone. He, unless it's like, um, you know, like for trial or for court the next day, he doesn't respond um, to clients after a certain point. Um, now, granted, he gets paid when he does respond to clients. We don't get paid that way. Um, it was just him really being like, you need to be like, you need to focus at home. Like you've got stuff here, you know, because I, I mean, I think sometimes so many times parents forget that teachers are we're parents ourselves or we like have other things going on, too. Um and while I care about your child, I also care about what's going on, you know, like what's going on at home. I will say, though, that one of the hardest things, though, being a middle school teacher for parents is because, yes, we want you involved. But they also have to grow up. Do you know what I mean? Like there's that defined line of like what's too much, what's not enough with a parent communication. Yeah, of course. I mean, while this does happen at the elementary level, we see a big shift in middle school of students beginning to take ownership over the work that's being done and, and try and learn that responsibility of not only managing multiple subject areas, but also understanding what responsibility they need to carry in that pathway. And while it's different at every grade level, depending on the teacher's style, it's absolutely a major discussion at the middle school. So allowing the parent to understand that shift as they're moving from elementary to middle school is is a difficult one it's another component of that parent communication you know when i think of boundaries um i think it's going to be different for every single educator but as we get started discussing parent communication this week the reality is is that finding a balance between when that communication is happening and when it's not happening is a discussion that we can have regardless if you choose to put boundaries up in your life or not that can just be a simple case of when throughout the day are you doing parent communication, um, even during the school hours. When you set up your boundaries, um, how did you communicate that to either your students or your stakeholders so that they knew what to expect from you? So I typically, um, I will respond within 24 hours and I try to let parents know within at the, like the first part of school, like, hey, and that's not even just to my, my regular IEP kids, that is my to my classes as well, like, hey, you got to give me 24 hours. Now, I do have one or two occasions where I have a student who is like, hey, can you call mom? <laughs> or, you know, and I also have that rapport with that student, like, I'm their safe person, no problem, you know, text or email. Um, and I, I'm pretty quick to respond to a couple of those just because I do have some parents who are like, there's, we've got some stuff going on. Um, but I try to at least give it 24 hours, especially if you have a parent who responds to you and is like 
very rude through email. And unfortunately, um, we can misread things through email. So it's a lot of times it's so much better to do it face to face. Um, I did a conversation with Screencastify and actually how to use Screencastify with parents. And I love that option of having them actually like record what is the question or what's time work. Because so often, like I was just saying, you can misconstrue what someone's saying through text or email. Or at least yeah. I do. <laughs> no, I think that happens all the time. And you bring up a whole nother idea. One is when do we communicate and how can we communicate those expectations? A 24-hour rule in general is a win-win for teachers. That means that when you get a moment, either in the morning before you start your day or during your plan time or after hours as you're concluding and wrapping up your day, you can send out those messages and you've already hit that 24-hour threshold, which allows you to either respond within 12 hours, which holy moly, now you got a, you responded so early, or that 24 hours, they know what to expect and when to be concerned when they don't hear about you. But on the flip side, now we're talking about the modality in which you're communicating. So now we're discussing the difference between a phone call and email and video message. I love video message ideas. Um, and I love that you're not only able to share with families via a video, right, by recording your voice or recording your face, your so they can see your facial expressions and hear your tone, but vice versa, teaching your parents how to do that as well is so helpful. I think it does. I think it's just a good option. Yeah, absolutely. So as you're thinking through your communication styles, obviously a lot of our focus thus far has been that back and forth one-on-one -on -one communication. You have a family that you're communicating with and you're communicating um, with them either on a frequent basis, depending on what medium you're using to do that. Is there any time that you've set up in your progression or any suggestions you have to be able to sustain that and maintain it? Because a lot of educators I know are willing to do parent communication, love the opportunity to be able to keep our stakeholders updated, but it's just another thing on the to-do list. It gets tricky. It is. And our to-do lists are never ending, it seems, especially now. Um <clears throat> My biggest thing is like, it's just like you teach your kids routines and rituals. If you start in the beginning of the year, start setting it up for yourself. Like, okay, on Mondays, this is what I'm going to do Tuesday. Or if you know, every third period, you know, during the day, during my planning, first five minutes, I'm at least going to check email. If you get into the routine and the habits, then you'll have a better response. But that would be my best option is just getting yourself into the routine because so often, like I had recently, I unfortunately had COVID a couple of weeks ago and I had a parent <laughs> email me on Monday. Well, I didn't respond because I mean, you know, I was sick. And so Thursday, she's in a panic. Like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Like what's going on? And I quickly was like, I'm so sorry. Um, you know, I'm at home. And when I'm out, I mean, I was in the bed. I think I was watching Housewives because I couldn't <laughs> like, I just wasn't do anything else. Um, and so they get parents get so used to having like that response. So when they don't have it, they're like, oh, my God, what's wrong? So I think it's a routine. If you establish it for both of you, then you'll be better off if that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up something that I know is so relevant for all educators that when we get into a routine and we break that routine, how do we then be, um, you know, like quick to ensure that that our parents don't stress out? things that we can put on our email like that, you know, vacation mode response where there's an automated email that sends. If you're going to be out for a day, I know this is not necessarily common practice for educators, 
Um, but I know it's very common in other industries where even if you're going to be out for a few hours, but you want the permission to not respond, you know, this isn't this isn't an okay setting to choose to put on every weekend or an okay setting to choose to put on every evening from five um, p.m. to you know like eight a.m. is throw on that vacation mode which allows your parents to email you. So they're getting whatever's going on in their brain off their chest to, to get you know you the information that you need. But then that automated message, you can completely personalize. So whether you're gone for just a day or maybe you're out for a week, heaven forbid you're not feeling well, you can send that personalized message that says, hey, I really appreciate that you reached out. I so value that you did that and I really wanna respond. This is the time frame that I'm actually going to be unavailable. So if it's an emergency, here are some options for you. And if it's not an emergency and that time frame works for whatever your question is for reaching out, wonderful. I can't wait to get back to you. And then you're really setting those clear boundaries and expectations for your families. That was, a, can I just get that in writing and I'll just go ahead and put that up as my email. <laughs> Thankfully, this is recorded, but I will say, right, Jessica, I mean, we are educators and we are professionals at trying to find that perfect wording that's going to allow our families to feel heard, but also not stress. And so I know there's a lot of ways we can uh, write those messages for sure. As you are thinking through your progression of parent communication, obviously, um, you've been able to support so many students throughout your career so far and have so many more that you'll be able to support. Has your parent communication style changed as you know you've you've gotten into the field, or do you feel like you've had a system for quite some time? Oh, I feel like it changes every year. It's just like my IP organization changes every single year. Um, parent communication is so key when you are writing IEPs because one, IEPs are legal documents, um, and that's like the biggest. That's the one big thing. Unfortunately, being a special ed teacher is you are writing a legal document, and it's very it can be scary sometimes. Um, but with my parents, I try to establish, and I'm, I've gotten better about it this year, at least giving, because we have to give 10 days notice, but I try to give parents head up like maybe a couple weeks, like, hey, I'm going to be sending this out. You know, um, I'm very fortunate. We have a small caseload. Like I maybe have eight or nine students, so it's not 30 to 40 like some people do, or even speech therapists, I think, have like 70, depending on, you know, what their thing is. Um, so it's just an ever-evolving you know, I try. Uh, the one thing I can definitely say I've improved on this year is getting parent feedback for IEPs because I think that's so crucial to have how their students um, are report like or portrayed or or how they happen. And the only reason that's improved is because I've actually had to fill out. My daughter has an IEP for speech, just speech only. We can't say the ending consonant sounds. We can say everything else, but the ending consonant sounds. As sassy as she is, she's the mini version of me but it looks just like her daddy. And filling out that paperwork really made me think, oh my gosh, when some, like, cause it's like, what does she like doing? You know, I mean, four-year-olds like playing with, she likes Barbies. But like when you're coming up with a middle schooler who's going into transition, because that's one part, like either you're 14 or going into high school, we have to start planning. What are you going to do post high school? And so some of that stuff has just kind of made me realize how I need to improve as a teacher. Do you know what I mean? To where I'm actually help make that plan yeah. for their student. You know, I'd love to actually get some specifics from you because these theory, these big ideas are always good to hear and we can we can learn from so many different areas. But I'd love to be able to get some specifics because if I'm listening right now, 
popping in. Maybe I'm on my drive to work or brushing my teeth early in the morning, getting ready. Um, there might be some things that I can actually put in place, whether it be later today or later this week to, you know, focus on that. You've mentioned a lot of different strategies, but this concept I love of getting the parents involved in the conversation, getting their feedback. There's a lot of ways to collect feedback, but how are you doing it for your specific situation? So for my specific situation, I have actually, um, and there's so many different, I mean, like you can go to teacher pay teachers and find a ton of stuff. I mean, why reinvent the wheel? Um, I have a, we have like our county system has a specific transition survey for the parents, especially as they're going from eighth to ninth, um, which is just a very basic, you know, it's four pages. So maybe it's not that basic, but it's a lot of questions. Um, so it is just really just having authentic conversations with forms for those parents. And that can be something as simple as an IEP form sent via mail and they just fill out like a Google form and it comes back to you. And that's simple. Um, it's just, it's having that open communication. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but even just like an I something as simple as like an IEP form via mail, email, because so many, I can't tell you how many times I have kids lose stuff and they're like, well, I never got it. Yeah. Of course. And I think you're hitting the nail on the head, right? Depending on what works best for your students in whatever you need, it might be a document that you're putting in the students' backpacks and they're taking that home and they're filling it out as a family together, you know, writing on pen on paper and they're sending it back to you. It could be something you send via email that they type and respond to you. It could be something in a Google form that they type up and submit to you. But regardless, I think the trickiest part, Jessica, and something that you're really emphasizing is it's not just the questions you ask, but it's how you direct them and answering them, right? So it's not just, hey, can you fill this out? But, ooh, can you guys choose to sit down as a family at some point this week? It should take about seven minutes at most. And I want you to discuss these questions so we can really get a full picture of not only the student, but also the experience you have as a parent or vice versa. So it's not just the act of handing out the survey or handing out the questions, but the act of actually teaching our parents, teaching our students, our stakeholders, how they can best provide feedback and what good feedback looks like in hopes that you get as much as humanly possible to help with whatever you're working on. And I've gotten some really, I've, um, I've gotten some great responses. I've also gotten like three word answers. Cool. So then I'm kind of like, well, you know, we're going to make it work, make yeah. it, you know, sometimes I have a paragraph when I write um, parental concerns. It's like three sentences. Another time, have 15 yep. <laughs> just depending on what the parent shares with me because I feel like especially IEPs parents have are such a vital member of the team yeah and you know even like even if they're not I even if they're students with not IEPs but just regular students gen ed students I mean parents are very concerned I know it's it's frustrating though because um just with all of the different things. I mean, you can watch TikTok or anything. You see all the news about, you know, parents want to know more and more about what's going on in the classroom. And that's hard because that's just one more thing we have to add to our plate, you know, not our lesson plans. But I think if you have, if you establish that rapport at the beginning of the year, it's going to make your life easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love this like clear expectation. There's been a big conversation, not only in our admin mastermind, but in other conversations I've been able to participate with leadership specifically that's coming to mind about this idea of what we can expect of teachers. And it was this interesting conversation we've been having for a few weeks now that's come up in these dialogues around 
you know, like, oh, we're hosting professional development. How do we make it meaningful for teachers? Or we're doing this piece of activity that we're requiring. How do we get teachers' responses? And I think sometimes we forget that regardless of who our audience is, sometimes we need to teach our audience what, what we're expecting and what's helpful for us. So is just sitting and being quiet and nodding our head enough feedback? Or do you need to hear a few responses in, in you know, like word form? And can we actually teach our teachers or teach our stakeholders what a good response looks like versus what a response that isn't so helpful? Can we share with them that we're looking for, you know, like full complete sentences that have, you know, some some description in it versus just a yes or no response? These, you know, these are things that I think more often than not we say, oh, our parents know what a good response looks like. And when we don't necessarily get that, we're like, oh, darn, I wish they were more invested in our students learning. But actually, did we communicate to them that, you know, five sentences is actually really helpful and a one word answer doesn't really get us the feedback that we need as a teacher to be successful. So some of that teaching is also part of parent communication. Well, it's one of those things, especially like for middle schoolers, if you teach the kids how to do it, they can teach their parents. Do you know what I mean? Like they can rely like, and I mean, I, I struggle to get my kids to capitalize their names sometimes. So <laughs> if I get five sentences, I'm on cloud nine because I'm like, yes, you know what you're doing. But if you're teaching kids how to take that information and not regurgitate it, but to turn it into their own words, they can show their parents and then their parents can see, hey, my kid is learning. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like a wheel that just keeps on spinning. I totally agree. I love all these uh, suggestions, Jessica. There's so many different takeaways depending on what you're looking for in terms of parent communication. Obviously, we're talking about this all week long, but even in just this short conversation, we've been able to focus on boundaries and you know modalities and ways to communicate and how we can set those expectations for the people we're communicating with, how to get feedback from the people we're communicating with. Holy moly, this is like a gold mine here, Jessica. I so appreciate it. As we transition here into our good news of the day, um, I'd love to ask you one final question on this topic as we you know continue to brainstorm with those of uh, our those of our community that are here with us live what is your soapbox um topic if, if educators were just popping in for this one moment of the show connecting with you what would be the biggest takeaway you hope that they learn this morning as they're headed into their tuesday morning february 1st getting ready for the month that's a loaded question because um, there can be so many different things. Um, I think my soapbox is um, inclusion, and that is a collaboration classroom between Gen Ed and um, special ed teachers. And I am hopefully we'll finish my book soon. It's called The Collaborative Freenup, and it is about, uh, you know, co-teaching is like a marriage. It's like an arranged marriage. You either want to get divorced by December or you want to stay happily married. Um, I've had both experiences, and it's just if you can have a positive collaboration between the gen ed and special ed, it makes the world better for your kids. Because what's so frustrating as a middle school teacher is if my co-teacher doesn't like me, the kids know they're not stupid. <laughs> so, I mean, sixth graders and seventh graders are not stupid. They're going to be able to tell. They're going to be able to get the vibes and then they're going to pitch you against one of each other. Um, it's just, if you, I think so often gen ed teachers don't think SPED is equals and vice versa. Like SPED teachers are like, we've got so much on our plate. Gen ed teachers are like, no, you don't. You know, like there's always like these like different, everybody has so much on their plate. It's just different. You know, my job is not any easier than your job as a gen ed teacher. I just, 
I, I have more IEP paperwork. You have grades. You have parent contacts. You know, like they're so like one's not better than the other, but we both have to work together. And so often teachers forget that we are not there to be buddy, buddy. We're not there to be the most popular teacher to get teacher of the year. We are there. If you are a true teacher, you are there to make sure that your kids are learning. However, that means. And sometimes that means biting your tongue and swallowing your pride and working with someone to make sure that your kids are having the best experience that they can in the classroom. If that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I'm so sorry that that sometimes there seems to be that discrepancy between those that work in our schools, but I really appreciate the emphasis, Jessica, that every single person in the school building has a really fascinating and valuable lens that they're able to come into whatever learning opportunity and be able to ensure that they are supporting the students that need to be successful and the emphasis of needing to work together to do that. So I'm excited for our network to reach out to you to get ideas, maybe collaborate and brainstorm a little bit about how they can be better in that area. In addition to parent communication, which we've been able to focus on this morning, we're going to transition here into our good news and get into some celebrating. Good morning, everyone. We are thrilled that you are here with us for our daily drop-in morning show as we stream on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and LinkedIn every single morning at 7 a.m. Eastern. It is Tuesday, February 1st, and we have some big holidays to celebrate this month, as well as getting into our good news story. Jessica, I also think it's worth noting there are some severe weather storms that do begin this afternoon, and we do just want to remind our network that, of course, if at any point you find yourself in need of anything. I know the Teach Better team is a global community, but we really are here to support anybody that we can and uh, in any way that we can. So as you prepare to make sure that you are very safe, if that is that, that weather is affecting you, please let us know if you uh, need anything so that our community can be there to support. Jessica, in your uh, neck of the woods, I'm guessing you may not be getting snow, but but it's possible, I guess. Um, it is possible. We actually had uh, Fort Payne didn't have snow, but where I teach had snow this past weekend and where I'm from in Georgia had snow. So like we just had, we were really cold. Yeah, <laughs> very cold. Because whether you have snow or not, Jessica, you guys aren't necessarily used to cold, right? We are not. But now in my defense, I did go to school in Lexington, Kentucky, and I taught there for a year. So I know how to drive in snow. I'm just saying. That's awesome. That's awesome. I was getting some notifications yesterday that some areas of Chicago are getting over 12 inches. And I know that that affects many, many, many communities. So again, if you have not checked the weather recently, if it affects you, um, we do want to give you that heads up and obviously let us know as you get started in your week, if you need anything, we'd love to be here to support you. There are a lot of holidays to dress today, Jessica. Are you ready to celebrate a few things? Sure. First and foremost, it's National Freedom Day, which is obviously something that's always enjoyable to celebrate. For those of you who have seen all the messages everywhere, it's also the Chinese New Year, which is so exciting. The Year of the Tiger. That would be very interesting to learn more about and obviously wish so many people um, a wonderful New Year as they continue to celebrate. It's also a lot of funny holidays, which I didn't realize um, even existed, like National Baked Alaska Day. I don't actually know what Baked Alaska is, but this picture is yummy. So I think, Jessica, we might need to hunt this down later today. 
<laughs> it's also National Dark Chocolate Day. Are you a dark chocolate lover? I am not. I'm actually allergic to chocolate. So oh, so definitely <laughs> don't celebrate this. But if you are out there and you enjoy some dark chocolate, maybe have a bite for Jessica in spirit as we celebrate um, something something a little goofy. It's also World Get Up Day. And this is the picture that they show us is somebody that's down on the ground and a friend is helping them up. So if you are feeling down at all, let's help you get up and uh, celebrate World Get Up Day. That's a, that's a little different for me. I didn't heard that one. The last one, which I don't know who this applies to because nobody in our network would, you know, find themselves in this category, but I think it's funny and I'm going to put myself in this category. It is spunky old broads day. So if you are an old broad and you are spunky, congratulations, it's your day. And I think that I fall into that category, Jessica, what do you think? Not That's not I what I was it. expecting you to say. Was, yeah, especially if you're spunky. I mean, I love that. I, I love can see the spunky. Stuff. I don't know about old bra, but I can see the spunky. I don't know when you get to become an old bra. Like, I like at what age are you like, guess what? You officially have hit the threshold. You can describe yourself as an old bra. If you have an idea and you're listening, I'd love to hear what age that happens at. Because I think I can describe myself as a spunky old broad. I like it. I think of more of like the Golden Girls, like Sophia. Oh. You know, like maybe like when you're like 70 and 80, because uh, you really can get away at that point and saying whatever. Who's you know what? Person? You are pretty fabulous at that age. So I, I do kind of get it. And I'm sure many people could be spunky at that age. But <laughs> really, I got to wait till I'm 70. It's got to be earlier. Come on. <laughs> I just want to celebrate spunky old broads day. Come on. <laughs> I'm excited to see the comments of people guessing what age uh, old broad status begins. As we get into that, I also have a good news story for all of us. This is a great opportunity for us to not only use this to foster conversations with our colleagues, but also, of course, bring this to our students as an opportunity to discuss and learn something new. One um, element that I want to bring in today is a is an article that says um, amazing quarter million monarch butterflies in 2021, up from just 2,000 the year before in migration count. So they're looking at the migration of these beautiful monarch butterflies. Of course, the photos are amazing because as many of you know, those monarch butterflies are orange and white and black and they are just so gorgeous. But as they migrate, they've been able to track how many monarchs they are actually seeing and this massive growth that they've been able to document, which is wonderful for our communities. Monarch butterflies are so important to many, many, many food chains and so many different um, life cycles that we see. A nonprofit announced that over 200,000 monarch butterflies were observed across um, the sites that they were, they were looking at this um, a 125-fold increase over the last year. So as they were tracking these numbers, there was this really big discussion around how this increase occurred. This would be a wonderful opportunity to bring to your students to evaluate numbers, population, growth, and obviously the science behind these incredible animals. So shout out to those of you who continue to support butterflies and also the concept of bringing this idea to our students. That's really cool. Kind of fun, kind of fun. Um, as we conclude our conversation today, Jessica, I do want to make sure that we have a few updates for our Teach Better family and also an update to ensure that they can connect with you. So Jessica, let's start off with how can our viewers stay connected to you? So the best way for me is through Twitter. 
and my Twitter handle is right there, on, <laughs> right below my face. It is at Kentucky Girl in Alabama. And that is before I knew of edgy Twitter. This is back in the day when I would talk so much smack to my husband because he's an Alabama grad. I'm a Kentucky grad. And the, it will it may happen this Saturday because we're, we're going to the basketball game in Tuscaloosa. Kentucky plays against Alabama. So, But um, I now obviously do edgy Twitter as well. <laughs> but Twitter is the best way to get a hold of me. I love that they can connect with you there. If you are also looking for other people to connect with, the Teach Better team did just announce their two starting the lineup, two featured speakers at the Teach Better conference. In case you missed it, here's a little clip that we showed yesterday for that big announcement. The Teach Better team is so excited to begin announcing the lineup for the Teach Better Conference, which you can learn about at teachbetterconference.com. Congrats to Alexa Shepard and Jed Derryberry on being the first to announce of the 12 that will be continuing to announce over the next 14 weeks. You can also catch lives with both of those incredible speakers next week on Monday and Tuesday to continue to learn about them before we announce the next wave of educators. As I'm sure many of you have seen, we have that funny image with all these silhouettes of our speakers that we'll be announcing. And we so appreciate the guesses. I've not had one person guess all of them right yet. So I do appreciate continue to send in your guesses and your excitement for that. Uh, the other thing I do want to give a shout out for, for those of you who are getting started bright and early on this Tuesday morning, is we have a brand new time for our admin mastermind that is kicking off this morning at the top of the hour. So 7 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Eastern will be the brand new time of our admin mastermind morning session. We're excited for so many of you to join us via Zoom, which you can learn about at teachbetter.com slash mastermind. And we'll have the incredible new moder new moderator, Dr. Brian Zwemke joining us. If the morning time doesn't work for you though, don't worry, we still have our incredible afternoon session that is a little later and it will be facilitated by the one and only Teach Better team member, Brad Hughes, which you also get to learn from on Fridays on the Daily Drop-In. So lots of good things going on. Make sure you check your email for all those links. And of course, if you need anything, you can reach out. Jessica, thank you so much for joining the conversation this morning. It's always so good to chat with you. And I'm just so appreciative that you're able to share your expertise with our community, not only in the ambassador program, but also on Daily Drop-In. Thank you. So fun for everyone here. We hope you have an incredible Tuesday. Happy February 1st. Let us know if you need anything. And I hope you have a killer Tuesday, friends. Enjoy your last few sips of coffee and we'll see you bright and early. If not at our admin mastermind, we'll see you tomorrow morning on Daily Drop-In. Bye, friends.